Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Lab's Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to a CTO and product development leader, a doubling up of two powerful leadership positions. And the guest with this heady combination is Vijay. I'm eager to find out more about him and his role. So let's not delay. Let's get him into the space to tell us all and all. Welcome, Vijay. Welcome to CTO Confessions podcast. Excellent. Thanks a bunch, TC. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? So I'm a product development leader. Um, I help companies of different size teams, uh, different domains, really capture a vision, execute on that vision, grow uh, in, a, in a target market, and you know help solve you know customer problems. In a nutshell, it's really building building products and teams that uh, accomplish some or all of those those objectives. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so. Um, when you say kind of product owner, you 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 develop products, uh, kind of lead the the product development in terms of owning what the customer wants, uh, their use cases, understanding, getting under their skin almost. You know, exactly. Uh, a lot of what I've done has been for what I would call tech enabled companies. So these are companies where they could be B two B SaaS, they could be you know B two C, somewhere in between. Um, but there's some notion that there's an end product that is made up of the, the product that you build internally, but maybe there's some additions and maybe there's a, a bit of marketing on the front or maybe there's a, a bit of a service or there's you know some sort of operational component. And so uh, to me, I think that, that the product is that, that set of, of capabilities that you know go to the heart of what customer is looking for, what a customer is struggling with. And, and really, sort of nailing nailing that equation. You know, pr- product market fit is definitely one way to to capture it. Um, but across different ends of the spectrum, early stage, mid stage, later on, as as we scale, etc. Okay, that's quite interesting. We'll come back to that because I mean, product ownership is an area where I, my personal journey, I haven't seen it done particularly well. You know, it's always a bit kind of haphazard. So, it'd be going to get good to get your wisdom, your journey, and what you think works, what you know works well. And what doesn't? Um, but first, let's look at your journey to where you, you know, your kind of position, uh, uh, being a t- uh, chief technology officer, CTO. Um, what's that journey been like? Has it been crazy fun? Has it been like a roller coaster, or more like a rocket rocket launch? You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> one way rocket. I, I think the 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 journey has been. I, I mean, engineering is. Uh, software engineering is, you know, is my trade. Sort of, like I think of product development as my craft. Uh, started in combination of systems and software engineering. Something I think, by the way, is, is really important for people in my shoes is to have, you know, equal parts of, you know, both systems and and software perspectives. Um, and so, you know, I, I grew up in the ranks as a, as a software engineer, uh, you know, did consulting, worked in a data center for a year, uh, did operations, so sort of pager duty and, and on call uh, as part of being in a data center, you know, systems consulting for three years, systems integration. And then, you know, joined a large company where, where you know, I joined as an engineer and left as CTO over 10 years, um, but, but really it was a company that was trying to figure out what the role of technology is, what the role of product development is in a business that is otherwise older or, you know, more legacy oriented, uh, in this case, publishing or, or content and, and books. Mm. So I got into engineering because I liked it. It's something I've always done. You know, started working with a BBC microcomputer in the, in the <laughs> 80s, yeah. uh, playing games like Chucky Egg and, you know, things cool. that used to have the audio tape was the input device and sort of, you know, would screech and, and howl. And then that was what uh, read the bits, I guess. And, and yeah. you know, the games would load. 
uh, and I got into management, you know, during this during you know, at this large company where somewhat reluctantly, I, I think I really enjoy just owning uh, or being the sort of holder of all the answers and 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 being the person that. Uh, you, you would consult with to figure out like, can we do this? And that that, that sort of question was something that really uh, energized me. And, and I would always think about ways to solve those those uh, and, and answer those questions. And, and I think you know, vacuum always presents opportunities. So it came a point where there's a, a gap in my management chain, and I was asked if I wanted to become an engineering manager, and I didn't know quite what that meant or hadn't fully received the training that would, would come with something like that, uh, or at least today you would recognize would, would benefit from some training, but sort of fell into that somewhat reluctantly. It was, it was, uh, look, there's, there, there's this need and you can keep doing what you're doing and, and start leading a team or, or, you know, really scale agile development or, you know, any of these things, uh, which in hindsight maybe was, was a bit of a uh, bit of a learning curve, um, you know, sort of doing both. I think uh, it's certainly something today that you recognize, you know, it, it's it's better to really sort of prioritize and and mm-hmm. you know sharpen your 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 craft on both sides, the management side, as well as the individual contributor side. But yeah. and then from that point on, you know, different leadership roles and and you know grew in in both scope and and influence and and. And, and you know various uh, leadership roles from from that point on, but you know, started as a as a software engineer. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, would you describe what would be the vehicle that you describe as your journey? Um, what was it in a, a sports car or or even a rocket? Was it a rocket? I, I would say <laughs> I would say something a bit more of a uh, you know a ninety eight yeah, two thousand Cam- uh, Toyota Camry maybe uh, <laughs> you know, sort of reliable yes. it gets good 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 miles on the gallon right. and uh, you know when it's time to to trade it in you have a lot of sort of good memory so and I think the reason for that was um, and I joke but yeah you know, there were a couple of points where you know there were quick quick promotions and you know you had to learn what to do at the next level and then let go of things that I was doing at the, at the previous level, which is always a learning curve. I like it with spoilers. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, so what's your passion, VJ? What, what gets you out of bed in the morning? It makes you dive out and go. Yeah. I, so I, I have this theory that, you know, a lot of management, especially, you know, product development and product management uh, uh, leadership, you know, can, can be explained by you know football or, or soccer you know and, and and so I think that role of a of a sort of midfielder where um, almost like the the captain's armband you know where you 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 see a set of customer problems you you see an end goal in sight um, either are aware of the problem or the problems made aware to you and then you you have a team some of which you you choose some of which you know is handed to you. Um, you may be limited. I mean, everyone would like a a Ronaldo or or uh, you know similar on your team, but you know may have constraints. And so, within that sort of framework, how do you get the teams you know as excited, as incentivized, as motivated as possible, and then build the products and capabilities that help these these customers with their problems? And so, that impact of you know, helping a customer sort of figure out what they're what they're trying to do, uh, why they're trying to solve something. Really understanding that, building that into the product. You know, getting the teams to see a, a checkpoint or a, a a small goal in service of several larger goals, and then you know, achieving or building against that mindset and seeing the metrics, seeing the the numbers sort of tick over. I think is is very exciting, and, and I think that's. That impact is what uh, is most exciting to me. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, and I, I guess it's, uh, yeah, the impact on the kind of customer and making sure uh, you are solving their problem. But I, I guess it's a kind of not the customer not knowing what they want, but you kind of know what they want. I, I mean, that that innovation side of things, does that kind of emerge often? Uh, it, it does uh, t- to some degree. Like I, I, I've always held this view that, Product development, uh, certainly an aspect to it, which is you know intuition. I think that the, the best 
product leaders always have a, an aspect to themselves, which is, you know, intuition based. Mm. But in addition, I think there's always uh, feedback from the customer. There's escalations from the, from the field or, or operations. Mm. Uh, you know, there's, there's company strategy or company OKRs. So, so sitting in the middle of those three or four quadrants, you know, one escalation for what's already out there, uh, an intuition of, of, you know, what you want to build or what you, what you think is the right thing to build, you know, company strategy, OKR, sort of the, the everyday, um, and then, you know, metrics is, is probably like a fourth and, and at different times, different stages of the company, you know, these may sort of, you know, wax and wane and you may have, you know, d- different things. You, you may need much more intuition when you start, cause obviously there, there aren't yeah. customers or, uh, you know, existing feedback. And then, you know, as you scale and grow, maybe, maybe that, you know, sort of dips a bit in favor of, uh, metrics or, or strategy or, or other things, but yeah. So I think that's where I, I I really feel it's that intersection. So intuition, I think, plays a part. I think it's it's probably not advisable to, to be a hundred percent, you know, just feedback based because, uh, you know, you can sort of test yourself into uh, you know into eternity. But you know, mm-hmm. having that intuition, which is what you think, uh, it can be research. It can be based on you know interviews. It can be based on feedback. Uh, if, if you're if, if you're a customer persona yourself, you can make some assumptions. But uh, but yes, intuition always I think plays a part. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea of having that deeper knowing, you know. Um, and and I guess this is where insights occur because you're not in old tracks. You're kind of allowing yourself just to be open to to whatever wants to emerge. You know, I'll, I'll go. Wow, we're getting deep, man. We're getting deep here. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, exactly. And, so. Uh, as a product owner, well, kind of uh, owning a product and leading a kind of product development, how do you kind of immerse yourself in what, what, what the customers want? Do you kind of sit there and work with them in their kind of area? I mean, do you do any kind of uh, activities that allow you to, to really kind of tune in? There's definitely lots of activities. I mean, I think there's a lot of services out there that can proxy some of this and you know, everything from NPS to you know, other metrics, customer CSAT, customer satisfaction. Mm. I think those are all equally helpful. <clears throat> but I think in addition, there's always, you know, I think partnering with really good design or, or uh, user experience design, user researchers, I think is, is priceless. Uh, you know, really going out there, everything from, you know, sort of formal user testing where you can either yourself conduct sessions or, or partner with the service or, or like we'll create something like a focus group where you can get, uh, you know, sort of paid uh, feedback and, and sort of professional feedback for for what you're looking um, to, to measure. And then on the other hand, also for, for smaller things, you know, whether it's part of a flow or part of checkout or part of, uh, you know, any, any part of your website or service, you know, even guerrilla testing, just, just capturing uh, 10 to 15, 20 users in the street, uh, mm. giving them, you know, a, a Starbucks card or, or uh, you know, an Amazon card or, or some, some sort of incentive for 15, 20 minutes of their time and, you know, have them walk through something on the phone, which is something that's not released to the public, um, but, you know, something that you're, you're eager to get their feedback on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, ways of, of working with customers who aren't yet customers or who, who are sort of target customers. But, and on the other hand, you know, looking at, uh, at existing customers, if, if it's an existing product and trying to figure out who, who is showing engagement, who, who, you know, customers that tend to fill out their forms or, or reviews or customers that tend to respond to email and, and selecting a small subset and, gathering gathering feedback that way I, I think the main thing is really being specific on what it is you're trying to measure so i think they will happily share that i think just being specific on what it is uh you're, you're trying to measure and the questions that you want to ask them and you know is it qualitative is it quantitative and, and just getting getting that and there are you know frameworks and, and user researchers and, and designers that uh, have studied this and can be great great assets too so you don't have to come up with everything just sort of partner with uh, folks in, in this field right okay i've got a note here around product debt what's that i think product debt can be a few things it's like i said it, it can be the accumulation of a lot of these lower level uh decisions but also I, I think it can be an area where you have over a period of time made compromises or 
short-term decisions in, in how you've put out your product. And this could be most often it's in the form of like user interface uh, decisions or user experience decisions where you, you know that you've sort of crammed or, or stuffed a, a interface with, with too many things, but you sort of go ahead and do it anyway. Mm. And then the next product that you have to build is sort of the, the, the breaking point. And there's just too much uh, for the customer to take in and either adoption or engagement or something isn't the way that you expect it. So that's, that's one thing. I think the other thing that sometimes happens, especially for like startups as they're scaling is you try to codify or productize a lot of sort of human behavior. And, and if you don't question why you're doing that, you can get to this point where uh, I'll share some of the symptoms that you might see. So you, you might see um, when you're releasing the next sort of small to mid-sized feature, you know, it, it tends to take a, a lot of time, more along the lines of a long, large or, or extra large type feature. Yeah. And one of the reasons is when you start thinking of acceptance criteria, when you start thinking of what does it mean to be done in this, you suddenly start peeling back the onion. You have like months after months, if not years after years of these these behaviors that are sort of codified in, in terms of business rules in your application. And it takes a developer a lot of time, weeks, if not months to figure out what are all of these business rules out there? Yeah. What are all the systems that these rules touch? And oh my God, what happens if I change this one thing? What are all the things that it breaks? And you then sort of couple that with a lot of sort of institutional knowledge or a lot of sort of tribal knowledge where not one person has the whole picture. Then you have sort of product debt at its worst because now you've got a lot of short-sighted decisions, short-term decisions, a lot of areas where you're afraid to make changes mm -hmm. uh, and things are taking way longer than they than they ever should. And you still have to support and, and put out new products. So, you know, how do you, how do you sort of work your way up from there? So, you yeah. know, product that I think really is kind of an accumulation, but all the way up to product that I think there's, you know, technical that all, all the way up the stack that uh, will have different sets of impacts. And, sometimes similar similar symptoms as well. Yeah, fascinating, because uh, I mean, I'm familiar being a developer, ex-developer, ex-geek, uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, technical debt, and, uh, and we're gonna come on to that in a second, but uh, product debt, I can imagine, you know, because I've not worked at the kind of user interface end, I can imagine, as you say, codified customer behaviors into the way that interface works. So you kind of, uh, run yourself into a kind of dead end or, or an alley or a, or a, as somebody else put it uh, on one of the podcasts, a kind of event horizon of, uh, you know, once you cross that event horizon, you're basically, you're done. <laughs> right. And what, what, one area that I've seen where this sometimes happens is I think where you try to, sometimes, it, you know, products can be first and, you know, how you position them, sell them, market them can come second. Other times it's the other way around where, you know, you, you, you position, sell or market first, and then you sort of productize. And so one challenge when you, when you do it the, the second way, which is when you build second is, do you want to productize everything that works from a, you know, product positioning perspective? Often I think the best areas are where you have a lot of greenfield where there isn't a incumbent or existing strategy or existing method and you're sort of free to explore and mm. and you know, just iterate iterate quickly i think that's you know most product uh, leaders would, would love that but often you don't you don't have that luxury so yeah yeah okay that's great and so coming on to technical debt then um you know that i've got this kind of vision of uh you know debt being having some business value you know it's got a cost uh, to, to, to correct and also a cost of not correcting it. How do you get that balance? That's a great question. Um, so yeah, I, I've developed this framework uh, over the years that, so first of all, I, I think one thing I like to do is to really look at, is this, is the, 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 the this product area or component or, you know, sort of uh, whatever we're considering, um, you know, first of all, is it a capability or is it a product? I think that just helps, you know, define, you know, does it have an audience, for example, like, you know, who's that audience? Is it internal? Is it external? And then, then I think you really sort of start, start looking at, 
effort is always important because you know no, no two things are, are the same so you always want to uh, balance you know, impact against effort you know if if you want to get really scientific I mean what I'm describing to some extent is a, is a sort of a bridge to you know rice um, you know impact measure but I, I focus you know mostly on the on the sort of impact and effort in addition to some of the the maturity and uh, uh, sort of stage of, of product uh, point of view so you, you then say like okay who does this impact? And 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 one thing I've learned uh, over the years um, is, uh, you know, impact can be customer experience. Uh, yeah. Impact can be, uh, meaning this is something that with this current state we are impacting the customer experience negatively most often, but uh, less than ideal. It, it could also impact your ability to grow and scale. And the reason to call that out separately is if your need to scale isn't a near-term priority, then that might be a good clue to use to say, you know what, this impacts our ability to scale, but we don't have to scale for the next year. We're still proving out the product. So why, mm-hmm. you know, why sort of justify this now? The reason I like this approach is you don't have to uh, take the hard decision on things up and down a list sort of arbitrarily. You can have the argument at the impact or effort level. You can say, you know what, actually, this is not a you know, uh, a large uh, hit on engineering. This is like a medium. Like, okay, fine. Like, you know, let's give on that. Or this actually does not impact developers as much as we think. This impacts customers a lot more. And mm-hmm. so you, you trade off at, at those levels rather than just like move things up and down because it's almost yeah. like quantifying, right? It's like, it's a bit more of a data, data driven approach on something that is a lot more judgment call based. And yes. so you really focus on uh, okay, like let's really have the debate at the impact or effort levels rather than like, yeah. just moving things up. And now, I think the the main thing with when you think about this, you know, technical debt is um, not all debt is created the same. You know, the the uh, the goal is to sort of end up with a uh, a view of your debt and and a view of your um, you know, areas where you've made those decisions and come up with some kind of roadmap. So. Mm. You, you know what what is the most painful across any of those measures and you know what is the least painful and you can then take your time to sort of slot those in in some cases so then you get get into strategies to how to sort of address you know do you do you sort of slot those in like tetris you know in between yeah. other projects or do you do you do a sort of stop the press and like everything stops until we we fix that and you know, both strategies are, are viable and plausible for different points of time. You know, if um, if uh, if a customer, if, if a company is experiencing different, you know, pressure points and and, and uh, uh, tests in, in the market, then one of these strategies might be more viable. If if not, it, it might be the other. But um, I think coming out with a roadmap is a, is a really important thing, and then you can do the the sort of prioritization, timing, sequencing aspect. From a leadership perspective, then, BJ, what, how would you kind of describe your type of leadership? What's worked and what hasn't worked? That's a great question. I, I, I think you know, I'm obviously still, I think, figuring this out as as I go. People are, uh, I think, yeah. So I, I think the first thing is, you know, that that I, I want to make sure that that my style of leadership is somewhat, you know, sponge-like, and because I think there there are methods and. Um, uh, practices that are available now that weren't, you know, 12, 13 years ago when I first got into leadership and management. So I think the first thing is, you know, style of leadership is, is um, you know, evolves over time. But I, I think probably the, the, the model that like best describes how I think about it is, is a servant leadership. And, and I think the, the difference between one leader to the next is how they prioritize these or how they number these. And so the four that I think in my mind are the company. So obviously the, the, the company that you're a part of, the, the customers for that for that company and, and you know their their mission, the technology if if you're in product development or uh, you know in any of these uh, disciplines. And then lastly, the people. So the way that I prioritize those are as follows people technology customers company and and that's uh i I think the last two or last three or or, you know the tech and customers i could you know i could sort of argue either way you know is does the tech come first the 
customers, you know, but I, I think the reason I put the tech above that is I think if you get the tech in place and in order, you can serve the customers that much better and, and, and that much more effectively yeah. um, versus if you're only responding to, to customers, then the, the, the tech uh, might suffer. Uh, yeah, it's hypothetical, but I think people first, I, I think that's something that I, I strongly believe is, um, is a way to go is a way to succeed. And it's a big part of how I think of, you know, culture It's a big part of how I think about, uh, employees and, and team growth and, you know, really, really being signed up for their success. I do like that. Cause it's, um, I like the idea of being able to kind of move and I guess at different times, different things maybe are more important, you know, so you can prioritize. It's like, it's like, a a hierarchy of of needs for for yes. an organization uh, but right. one that, but one that can be prioritized you know uh, this is what uh, we, yeah, yeah. And, and and in fact i'm reading this book right now about about that topic and sort of how you know people misread or mis, misunderstand some of maslow's work but yeah so one of the things he he did say is that these are sort of permeable so you you these are not meant to be okay i'm done with the people now i'm on to the customers <laughs> or it, yeah. it's you know, you're sort of always, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of a thing. And so they're meant to be stages that you keep going in and out of rather than like promoted from. Yeah, there's a fuzziness. Exactly. I'm, I'm kind of thinking quantum quantum world where nothing's ever in one place, but it's a kind of like a movement, you know. I mean, there you yeah. go. There you go, VJ. You can write a book about the, the, the quantum mechanics of uh, the hierarchy of needs, you know. That's right. I'll, I'll create a new leadership framework called quantum quantum leadership. And quantum then, uh... leadership. I'll buy it. You've got a first customer. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so we kind of covered a little bit of this about getting the best out of your teams, high performing leads. I mean, what's your kind of tips for other tech leaders out there? What's worked for you and maybe even what's not worked for you? Great question. So I, I think this one is, is, is definitely something that you can measure and, and iterate on, but is also heavily sort of judgment and, and intuition based, which is, I, I think, first of all, like, you know, really aligning on the, the problems that you're solving and the problems that people want to solve. So, so first is, you know, al alignment on what you're looking for and, and what the company is looking for. And, and so making sure you understand uh, what that is from from each person. What are they really looking for? Why are they here? I think is something that I always ask uh, managers. I always ask people in my management chain is make sure you understand why everyone is here and what expectations they have in in joining your company or our company. Uh, so that's the first thing. Then the second thing is <clears throat> building from that is you know. Uh, some some engineers, some product folks, they they like a lot of structure. They like a lot of, um, I mean, they like user stories or tickets with incredible amounts of detail. And the the ideal story for them is one in which, you know, there's there's images, there's maybe you know, high level uh, contextual or reference diagrams, or maybe in a sequence diagram or, mm. you know, designs and, you know, acceptance criteria. All of this is great, by the way, this is not uh, uh, negative in any way, but they like that level of specificity. In other cases, there are folks in which they will stay and, and, and I've, uh, you know, supported both. And, and I like the latter a bit more, which is they will say, you know what, just what is it? What problem are we trying to solve? And I will write the tickets. And so I remember some years ago, I was at a, as a, as at a conference. I was, it was a, a group of peers. And I, and I told folks that, look, you know, my engineers, we, we write our own stories and product doesn't. So it was like I, you know, so I said, uttered something profane. Like, <laughs> how could you do that? Like, how, how could engineers write their own stories? Like, well, because the, the, who knows the, the breakdown of work better than the engineers, you know? And so... If, if you can help me understand what problems we're solving, uh, why is it important? How do we know when we're successful? Um, then I can help break that down. I can, so, and, and, and you'll have engineers in, in different ends of the spectrum. So how do you provide a, a frame of reference for both, both the independent sort of self-driven uh, IC versus the more sort of detail oriented, likes a lot of detail, likes a lot of context, you know, driven IC. 
you probably need both in your team. You know, if you only have one or the other, it's probably exhausting, but yes. um, so having, having both on your team is, is great. And so how do you, how do you create a framework in which both can contribute, both can produce and, and be successful. So I think that's, that's really important. I think where it's gone well is I think really aligning on the role of, of their managers or leaders, something like that is really hard to do when, you know, their tech lead, for example, uh, you know, is, is also their manager. So there's like a hierarchy plus sort of, you know, technical oversight in the same person. So to the extent that you can sort of split those um, and create uh, a sort of roving or rotating function when it comes to the tech lead as a tech lead is more of a, a responsibility, not, not a, a title. So I think where it goes really well is a team that starts to notice that, look, it, it's taking us longer and longer to release software. And we need to treat that as a problem. Again, coming back to the, the technical debt area, uh, you know, infrastructure or CI or, or testing debt, um, I think really looking at that and saying like, okay, how do we, how do we shorten that, that time frame? So really looking at solving problems, problems like that. Mm. And then, you know, metrics when it comes to products and, and businesses. So really, I think, you know, the, the, the best teams, the high, high performing teams, you know, have a clear sense of OKRs or KPIs that say it could be either or, or both, you know, it could be, uh, we have sort of company level OKRs that we're trying to hit and then, you know, KPIs for our team or, mm. you know, it could be uh, OKRs across the board. But th- there's a sense that each team is is defining, given a set of company OKRs, is defining what OKRs are important to them. It doesn't have to be one-to-one. I mean, that's the whole point of OKRs. You could have an engineering OKR, which is, you know, put in place a new CI system, which may not be anything to do with, increase sales by 15%, but it's still valid. And mm. so, you know, I think a, a strong set of OKRs, uh, you know, is, is, and, and product metrics is, are, are the, are the final steps, you know, what is, what is working, what is not working in terms of what we put out. And if something is not working, do we have to continue supporting it? Um, yeah. So I think those are some of the things that, you know, where those things are in place and in alignment tend to, tend to work, uh, tend to work really well. That's good. I, I love the idea of OKRs because it kind of uh, games the work environment. You know, you got very clear. Um, they're, they're lovely little kind of packages of, of of creating that alignment and having conversations around that alignment. You know, it's right. yeah. Uh, it's a great way of of you know, especially in in organizations and, and most you know organizations that are growing will will be in this position. But where you have more than one team at some point you will get into the state where team one depends on something from team two. And if you can have a upfront, you know, you can call it an alignment conversation or just an OKR planning session upfront. If you, if you know that, look, team one's OKRs are, are such and such and team two's OKRs are such and such right at the, at the, at the outset, before you've kicked off, before you've written any code or any just story or any, any wireframe, you have a sense of, look, we need to do this for team two at some point in the quarter. So let's leave aside some capacity, some number of sprints, some number of points to be able to do that and not be surprised when when that need comes up. And so it's a great alignment tool. I, I completely agree, uh, completely agree. But it also provides teams a lot of autonomy. I mean, the whole point of OKRs is it's not defined for you. Like the team is trying to trying to define that given given what they know and what they've heard from uh, from the company goals so it's a very powerful very powerful tool yeah and coming back to your you know um creating the tickets you know uh, rather than the product owner he or she kind of doing that um I, I guess the way you could look at it um, this is the perception i got from your description is that the product owner is setting the vision is setting the outcomes uh collecting the very high level direction and, and then it's up to the developers uh, to kind of take ownership of that and estimate it and also get creative about how they're going to do that as well i think a good product leader manager owner is always thinking of the what and the why you know they're they're always providing that detail you know what is it we're trying to do and why is it important or you know what what is the impact we expect to have or how many customers or, or any of these things anything in service of why are we doing this you know right now um 
but ideally is is not suggesting a, a how you know it's not suggesting an implementation path it's not suggesting look a really poor story is you know one in which it says you know do this thing on that page and just like you know uh, update this title okay fine like it's very task driven uh, it doesn't tell me why this is important it doesn't tell me what it doesn't tell me how i'll know i'm successful because just tell me to do this task and so i think really being able to elevate and and suggest tickets in the i think that breakdown where engineers own you know the tickets uh and, and the how and you know products uh product managers and, and owners own the the what and the why is one way to achieve that is, yeah. is you sort of force that structure on on the teams beautiful here we go is an is a fun question i love asking what keeps you up at night when you're leading you know what's the kind of things that really niggle you and you you wake wake up in a breaking in a sweat, going, "Oh my god, no!" You know, <laughs> that's a great question. I, you know, I, I think it's it's. I think every every leader has a a set of constraints within which they operate, and and I think it's some some of these constraints are real and, and very sort of defined. Some of these are more for guideline or for guidance purposes. Uh, and so, you know, you, you always sort of wake up thinking, have I, have I, have I executed well within the right constraints and push back on the right ones or the other way around, you know? And mm. um, so for example, if, if, and again, keeping in mind the, the the way you might prioritize those four purposes—you know, the, the people, the tech, uh, the, the the customers, and the company—then, you know, have I is has this decision that I've taken is it in in line with how I how I think about this, or have I, you know, have I made a, a short term compromise? And those are very common, and and that's fine. But is that a compromise I can walk back? Is that a compromise? So, for example, if you defer, you know, investing in your people, if you defer giving them a sense of where they're headed and what's important, and can, do I have the, you know, do I have the ability to kind of walk back and uh, sort of, you know, get that, get that opportunity, or, uh, or not, or, you know, this this big release. I think there's always unknowns. Um, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think what keeps me up at night is more the uh, a result of the decisions I've made rather than the uncertainties I face. Because I think everyone has uncertainties, and to some extent, you, you can't do much about it. it. It's it's more, you know, what what plans have I put into place? What directions have I already you know set the course for? Uh, are those the right ones? Have I, you know, gone too far here, or have I, you know, this large, massive project? This is going to sink us for the next year. What was that the right call? You know, was yes. that? Uh, so I think I think it's more stuff that you've committed to, and have I over overextended? Have I uh, versus really the the other kind, which is, you know, what could happen? Like, you know, you could always be afraid of like the next security risk, or you know, yes. a cybersecurity issue, or a hack, or but to some extent, that is always true. So there's no point, you know, that always sort of bubbling to the top. It's more, I think, stuff that you've uh, you've got a finger on that you know you're not sure if you've uh, taken the right course of action or not. That's an interesting one. That's got me thinking actually, as you described that. That's got me reflecting on that as well. You know, I guess the only thing uh, from from a leadership perspective is to look at those decisions you have made, and then maybe kind of learn from them and get curious around, you know, what what is the concern what is the risk and and then the risk and then somehow be mitigated maybe or kept on you know um this kind of this is a nice segue into uh you know decision making and stuff around growing pains of companies um what in your kind of experience what what have you found has been the kind of uh the good things to put in place for the growth of an organization it's a great it's a great question i i think assuming you know the the, the normal timeline of a startup I think you know around you know the Series A, Series B point. Uh, it, it's never too early to start thinking about how 
you know, your, your people are, are going to fit into, you know, different levels and, and you know, what it means for them, uh, especially in a, in a product development. One thing that you can never invest in too soon is really looking at the timeline from, and, and I think this is as important early as it is later, but, you know, definitely at that midpoint, Series A, Series B, is really shortening the time frame that it takes. So metrics that you could look at probably things like lead time and cycle time, where you really look at as an organization or as a team, how long does it take me, us to take an idea once we have an idea to, you know, seek customer value or from the time you start working on it to get to customer value, because that will be a good proxy and a good indicator for you know, how, how fast you can move, how fast you can iterate. Yeah. It is much harder to do once you have a larger team than you, than it is with a smaller team. So that the more people you have making these changes will seem like, you know, you're moving inches rather than, you know, uh, half a mile at a time. Mm. So I think that's a really, really important one. So anything you can do in service of that, that could be, you know, CI, it could, you know, it could be, um, you know, thinking about environments for your developers, it could be automation, it could be regression, you know, all of these mm. things that are in service of, of that goal. Uh, and ultimately, that means you can iterate faster. So then if you have an idea, that means you get it in the customer, customer's hands that much sooner. Mm. If you get in their hands that much sooner, you get feedback that much sooner. So either you're on the right path sooner or, or, or uh, you're yeah. not. And if, if time is of the essence, which in, in most startups and companies it is, then the sooner you have that feedback loop, the better, because then you can make decisions and, 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 you know, sort of try to pass. So, uh, but if it takes you like four months to release something, then you only get feedback twice a year or about three yeah. times a year. And so, um, so I think that's like a big one, you know, cycle time and lead time, you know, I think preparing for growth, um, in addition to the people aspect. And then another one, which I think is, is again, especially when it's, it's, it's time to turn on the, turn on the gas is, is, you know, metrics and what are we measuring? What, what do we understand of the customer journey? Uh, how do they transact from not being interested to being a customer? Do we have that sort of quantified and, you know, measured either in a dashboard or, you know, in some kind of BI tool or, or product analytics? Because I think that is a, is a crucial part of, of being able to grow because you'll have to then invest in different parts of that of that funnel of that process and if you don't know what that looks like then um it's really hard to to make those investments um so i think that's you know the 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 analytics product analytics the uh customer analytics are are probably the third the third piece of that puzzle yeah so as we come towards the kind of end end of our time together um what what kind of advice would you give to aspiring tech leaders out there on on their journey what what things speed up and accelerate the cadence of their uh you know um trajectory to yeah so i can think i can think of a few things um i think one especially now but even even before the last year you know i think embrace remote and figure out how to work for you, whether that's, you know, partial remote distributed, you know, whatever definition meets your business need. So again, if your, if your goal is to prioritize, um, you know, hiring and onboarding and, and speed, then, you know, being able to cast your, your, your net and offer, you know, what you can offer to as many people in as many markets, because there are great engineers everywhere and you're really not taking advantage if you only limit yourself to, Kind of your backyard or you know your local yes. uh, city. So so I think that's a, that's a big one, and that that is all the investments and all the processes that they sort of go into that. Like you know ta- tactically, that could be you know what is a home IT budget look like? Like what is you know all of these things you can you can kind of figure out. But mm-hmm. uh, so I think that's one. I think second is for aspiring tech leaders too. Um, there's a lot of discussion, I think, right now, and this is probably, it comes up, you know, a few times a month, if not more. There's a lot of people that tell you, uh, you know, you, you got to choose. you, you got to choose if you want to be a technologist or if you want to be a leader. And, and it is a sort of, you know, make your piece of the devil sort of choice and you cannot go back on it. And and, and I think that's, you know, I think that's a bit dramatic. I, I, I think there's a way to do both. And I think the way that, 
I would suggest is always, always be tinkering with something, you know? And so I, I, I like uh, MOOCs. I like sort of, you know, formal learning and that's sort of the way I've always learned. So I think that's the second one is, is just sort of keep up with, uh, you know, is keep up with uh, different skills, like challenge yourself in, in your ways. And then I think the third thing, which is something I, I don't see uh, spoken about often enough, uh, is that management and leadership is a craft in, in and of itself. And, and it is something that you have to keep learning at uh, and, and growing in everything from you know, managing and leading teams to working with peers to you know, managing upward are, are things that you always have to sort of keep investing in and just your day job is not going to be enough to learn how to do that well, because what works well in one environment in one company may not translate to another. And so investing in you know, newer methods, like what's out there, what are new books that are out there and new, new approaches on management and, you know, how, how people in tech companies lead versus people in sort of tech enabled companies and you know, just keep exploring, um, you know, keep, keep, keep you know seeking opportunities to learn and grow and and uh, challenge yourself in 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 the management and leadership area as well because it is a craft just like yes. software engineering yeah. i guess uh, i guess it's kind of staying uncomfortable really you know don't get comfortable yeah. just keep yeah. stretching that envelope but I, I know from my experience and i imagine from yourself vjs is that you know we're we're you know, people that push the envelope are always the ones that kind of go places you know it is painful you know uh, it has been for me uh, but you know, it's fun as well, you know. Um, coming on to books, I see that you've got a nice collection there behind you. Which one of those would you would you pull out and say to, to people out there, this is one you need to read. These, this is a gateway book. That's a great, uh, that's a great question. I, I, I think one that I really liked, uh, let me see if I can reach it, is... Um, Julie's Julie Zhao Zhu, uh, uh, I think is her last name. Um, she was a, uh, I think she was a was it a, a lead designer? I think at, at Facebook. Um, but the the title is called Making of a Manager, which I think is a is a is a really, really helpful book. Uh, even as someone who I, I learned a ton uh, from this, especially in a lot of you know tactical help and, and suggestions around things like. You know, managing a team and setting objectives one-on-ones I think that's a that's a solid book Ooh. this book I think and there's another one that just came out this week uh, or last week I think uh, similar vein but this one is good because it goes to almost like a value by value at a time and gives like examples and, and kind of how to and, and it's fascinating everything from like what does disagree and commit really mean or what does it mean to set objectives or what does it mean to set a company, a customer facing objective and, and how do you sort of improve that over time? And I, I found it really, really helpful. And uh, well, I think like with the, the making of a manager book will, will help, um, you know, folks in, in most companies, there's always like two or three things you can, you can apply sort of immediately. Yeah. I like that. I've not, not uh, read that one. I have um, uh, read some of the kind of Amazon, you know, uh, you know, the wisdom coming out of Amazon. So, I'm going to now pretend to be a genie. Okay. I'm going to offer you a wish. I'm the tech genie. And what was your wish, sir, for your leader, for your leadership, for your teams, the people you work for, or even the industry that you want to work in? That's a great question. I, I think that, you know, a key part of the, like the, the role of someone like myself is I think to help. Ultimately, I think is to help the business see and understand and appreciate the constraints and limitations that your product teams work within and the other way around, you know, help the product teams understand, appreciate, and, uh, you know, respect the boundaries and constraints that the business is within. So I think, you know, if there was a genie, I think it would be sort of something that could, uh, you know, click your fingers and make that sort of seamless and, and, uh, very easy. But I, I think most of the challenges, um, you know, are probably in, in that space. Uh, so I think it was a, a, uh, quick and, uh, easy way to, you know, make both sides perfectly, I, I guess, make it less of a sort of game theory where like, you know, both sides know more about their aspect of it than the others, like make yeah. it where it's sort of perfect uniform, 
information across both would be would be amazing. Lovely. I like that. I I see the value in doing that. So uh, I'll see what I'll see what I can do as a tech genie. <laughs> Make that come true, eh? Well, thank you, VJ. Thank you for your wisdom. Um, there's some great kind of takeaways throughout the podcast, in fact. So thank you again. Absolutely. Cheers. Great to be here, TC. Well, I loved VJ's perspective from his passion for products and doing it from a place of tech leadership. The art of creating products, the art of making decisions that impact the now as well as the future needs to be done from a place of full awareness. Also, I love listening to tech leaders' tech biographies, their journey, their path, the decisions they made, the mistakes they made. We can all learn from them. It's a story and stories can be great teachers. I also like the way VJ rolls as a tech leader, and this quote speaks to that. Creating a framework in which all teams in one project can contribute, produce, and be successful is what a tech leader should be all about. Nail hits the head. Great quote from VJ there. So what were your key takeaways from the podcast? Mine were as follows. Number one, to climb the leadership ladder, you have to be adaptable and flexible. Like a dance, you have to be in the moment and move with the groove. My second key takeaway is creating artful constraints can solidify teams and make them more efficient. So create those guardrails that help the teams to be autonomous and deliver what's needed while feeling empowered and creative at the same time. My third key takeaway is understanding the wishes and whims of the customer and the clients is an art form. Be the artist in creating delight for the customers. Find out what they want, what they need, not what you think they need. So thank you, VJ. Thank you for your time. I loved hearing about your leadership style and your passion around products. So good luck in the future. And I look forward to hearing more about you and your journey as it continues. May the force be strong in you, sir. And finally... Remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like Tech Leader's favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.